This is MSCI Perspectives, your source for insights for global investors and access to research and expertise from across the investment industry. I'm your host, Adam Bass, and today is January 12th, 2023. Happy New Year. Today, we clear the slate after a volatile year in the markets, with both global equities and bonds declining against a surge in inflation, waning economic growth, geopolitical tensions, and monetary tightening. Today on Perspectives, we take a look at market conditions and valuations, as well as investor allocations, all by assessing what might be most impactful for 2023. So let's get to it with our first guest. I'm Hitendra Vasani. I'm part of the Global Solutions Research Team based in London. 2022 was a very challenging year for investors, uh, with both global equities and bonds declining against a surge in inflation, waning economic growth and geopolitical tensions, as well as monetary tightening. Uh, investors were caught between a rock and a hard place in their asset allocations. If we look back at the year, uh, MSCI Acqui Index, the All Country World Index, was down 18% over the year. That's the steepest decline since 2008, the global financial crisis. However, uh, inflation, which has been the most uh, significant concern amongst many investors, had started to soften as we went towards the end of the year. And that provided a relief rally in the final quarter. Now, there were some brief rays of hope at various times last year, but the general tone of the markets was decidedly negative. That brings us to our second guest, who has some of the major storylines from 2022. I am Mark Carver, the Global Head of Equity Factors and Equity Portfolio Management here at MSCI. I think at the start of 2022, the market mood was much more positive. While today, many investors, I think, are approaching the equity markets with much more trepidation, uncertainty, concerns about heightened volatility. And there's been, I think, equal amount of discussion around the fall of the so-called big tech names. Many hedge funds, for instance, began the year with big overweights to, um, you know, the technology names. And some long-only managers had these same overweights. And both were severely punished as value rotation gained speed in 2022. I think we can dig into the strong performance of value over growth um, and in fact, um, you know, on that note, I think it's, it is really interesting to observe that in the U.S. market, MSCI USA value outperformed MSCI USA growth by 26%. That is the largest calendar year outperformance that we've seen since 2000. That was the year that the tech bubble burst. And it's, in fact, the second largest calendar year outperformance of value over growth in the U.S. market since the mid-1970s. As we continued our conversation, Mark broke that down a bit more, telling us that... What this really meant is that we observed a change in the correlation of exposures within factor portfolios. Our listeners often think that value and momentum, for example, will have negative correlation on average through time. In the rise and fall of big tech, our team noted that at the start of 2022, the correlation of exposure of value to momentum was negative, just as people would expect and intuit. 
but by the end of the year, this exposure correlation was positive. Conversely, growth and momentum, which are often, uh, I think, wrongly conflated as the same thing, uh, those started the year with positive exposure correlation, but by the end of the year, growth and momentum had negative correlation. If you'll indulge me just a bit longer, I'd like to stick with this discussion about growth and value, which are often the protagonists in a continuous story of a battle for market leadership. And in this case, there may also be a very interesting valuation subplot to our hero's journey. So the the, the thing that uh, I think is unfolding before our eyes is the shift in the relative valuation of various factor strategies. So... For example, we know that by definition, uh, value stocks will trade at a discount to the market. That's not controversial. However, that level of discount will shift through times, which is also not controversial. What this means is that sometimes value stocks look especially cheap. Other times they don't you know, look that cheap. Now we can measure these things in two ways. First, we can calculate a stock's or really an asset's exposure to a factor in the cross-section. We do this with our factor models, and it's just an easy way to, to take a look. You can see the value exposure of a particular asset and say, is it cheap relative to other stocks? But we can also do something else, which is to look at that same asset compared to its own history. If we look at the start of the year, we saw the USA Value Index, for instance, was trading at a price to forward earnings uh, at a roughly 27% discount to the U.S. market. We saw similar levels across MSCI World, MSCI World XUSA, et cetera. But in the U.S. market, the 10-year average discount is closer to 17%. So we were talking last year at this time about value stocks being historically cheap even after the rally in 2021. Now we come to the end of the year and what do we see? Well, the relative valuation of value stocks, again, measured by MSCI USA value, is closer to the 10-year historical average. So the rally in value stocks last year meant that on a relative basis, we saw a reversion to the mean. The same is true of another star performer in the factor realm in 2022, which was high-yield equities. Their relative valuation at the start of the year was cheap by the end of the year, closer to the historical average. If we contrast this with growth stocks, on a relative gr uh, basis, growth stocks were trading at huge premiums to their historical averages at the beginning of 2022, but by the end of the year, reverted closer to the mean, still trading at a premium, but closer to the mean. U.S. momentum stocks and World X USA momentum stocks, we actually saw something even more interesting, which is that these stocks, which traditionally trade at a premium to the market, are now trading at a discount to the market. Mark mentioned the star performance of high yield equities. Let's pull that one apart a bit. So when central banks raise interest rates to combat inflation, uh, investors preferred short-duration assets over long-duration assets. So in fixed income, uh, short-dated bonds outperform long-dated bonds. And in equities, value outperform growth. High-yielding assets outperform low-dividend-yielding assets. 
Now, with the prospect of an economic recession, uh, we have looked at previous cycles and found that during those economic recessions, they typically coincide with earnings recessions. And analysts typically revise downwards the expectations for earnings going forward. That's not something that we've seen on scale yet. However, um, what we found is that earnings growth tends to be negative or slower, while dividend growth tends to be more sticky and investors may prefer high-yielding assets uh, as rates may continue to rise and economic conditions may continue to remain fragile. When you see a year like we saw with U.S. Treasuries, for instance, trading down so strongly, investors were trying to find yield outside of bonds. And that led to investors buying bond proxies in the equity market, which tend to be high-yield indexes. Uh, And we saw that with the incredible amount of flows that went into yield ETFs, uh, equity income or high dividend yield ETFs, that is. But uh, we also saw that that meant that those strategies, those stocks that had been beaten down so much over the last 10 years where investors had been favoring growth stocks, rallied strongly in in the valuation, reverted closer to their normal uh, averages. That reversion to the mean meant today yield stocks are not quite as cheap as they were a year ago. So far, we've been pretty firmly focused on the U.S. markets. And while what happens in the U.S. doesn't always stay in the U.S., just look at the impact of a strong dollar, for example. Investors considering how they're going to allocate their portfolios in 2023, well, they'll likely look at other parts of the world, and that includes emerging markets. So the overall uh, MSCI Emerging Market Index was down uh, around 19.7% in 2022, and there were significant headwinds. Uh, One of those was the strength in the dollar, as you mentioned, Uh, but that has uh, turned in recent uh, months. Now, historically, the end of the US rate hike cycle um, could have significant implications on emerging markets. It could reduce pressure for other central banks to raise rates to protect their currencies from depreciating or limiting capital outflows. Now, this weaker dollar, uh, in theory, could reduce the price of uh, imports, uh, particularly those that are more uh, commodity sensitive in the imports. These are typically priced in dollars. It could also reduce the financing cost of foreign U.S.-denominated debt. And so a weaker dollar could be a tailwind based on these two factors. Having said that, within emerging markets, we have seen a strong degree of dispersion across uh, the various regions. So although the broad emerging market was down 19.7, MSCI Emerging Market Latin America was up 9.5% largely due to Brazil and its commodity exposure, whereas emerging market Asia was down 20.8%, and that was driven by uh, the weakness in China, uh, somewhat related to the real estate crisis and zero COVID policies uh, for majority of the year. Within emerging markets Asia, India is expected to be the fastest growing economy in 23 and 24, and become the world's third largest economy by 2027. And there is a number of key trends or drivers um, propelling India's growth prospects. Uh, These five uh, 
points are digitalization. For example, the government initiative to roll out India Stack, which is the world's largest open API, revolutionizing access to finance. The second is the rise of the India office. So many multinational companies continue to allocate more uh, office headcounts in India. Third is the growing manufacturing hub uh, to the world. Fourth is rising domestic consumption. As uh, wealth standards increase, uh, there's increased spending and so increased consumption. And the fifth is decarbonization and the big energy transition. And of course, I'm sure that Hitendra and our legal team, well, they would want me to remind everyone listening that while these five trends are notable, there are also definitely risks involved, and all of this in no way represents investment advice. Now, we spoke earlier about central banks raising rates around the world in an effort to tamp down inflation. But investors have been captivated by central bank actions, as well as their language, as they try to anticipate future moves. And at times, they haven't anticipated very well. I think the market is looking at that data to anticipate any potential pivots of central banks with the the belief that if employment data weakens, that then central banks may not raise rates at quite the level of intensity. Now, will we see that to be true? Uh, or will we see inflation continue to be resilient? Uh, I think that's a story that's that's going to unfold throughout the course of not only the first quarter, but probably uh, much of 2023. And what we did note is that uh, the U.S. market in particular was hypersensitive to um, central bank expectations. And there was almost this divide between the policy statements that the Federal Reserve was putting out and the interpretation of those statements by investors. There was a belief that maybe the Fed would slow down the rate increases, and the result is the market started to rally. But then when a statement got clarified or some data came out that said maybe inflation is a bit more um, sticky, then obviously markets uh, fell fairly dramatically. And so what it's telling you is that investors are uh, very sensitive to the macro environment. What's curious about that is the, the macro environment, when we look around the globe, the macro environment is not the same. Even within developed or within emerging markets. Uh, if we look back at higher rate environments, many factor indexes had delivered outperformance. So whether it be quality or value or yield, one of the factors, they've typically generated positive returns in higher rate environments. So many questions on, on investors' minds is, in this new rate environment, should they be thinking about a more diversified allocation to uh, several factor indexes, as opposed to tactically adjusting uh, to one or two factor indexes? And those questions extend beyond equities to all areas of portfolios. So for multi-asset investors, uh, fixed income is a yielding asset again. When we look at the yield on MSCI investment grade corporate bond indexes, 
Um, they finished the year around uh, 5.4% for US dollar, 5.6% for sterling, and 4.2% for euro-denominated uh, investment-grade bonds. These are levels that we haven't seen for decades. For equity investors, this higher cost of borrowing for corporates uh, could mean that corporates borrow a lot less, uh, earnings could grow at a slower rate, and this is all against a backdrop of slower economic activity. Now, in light of the continued monetary tightening and potentially further rate rises, our research has highlighted indexes with value or high yield or quality stocks alongside minimum volatility allocations as an alternative for straightforward market cap index allocations to navigate um, this challenging environment. Now we're really getting down to it. All right. Where else have investors focused as they try and contend with inflation, low growth, and continued volatility? There are countries and regions within the developed or the emerging world that will not perform the same based on the levels of inflation in those uh, countries or regions or the potential or the forecast GDP growth of those same countries or markets. What does this mean for investors? This means um, there's an opportunity to be more deliberate in your asset allocation. Knowing how you want to be exposed, potentially the macro environment of those exposures will take on heightened sensitivity. This means for some investors, they may want to take a more defensive position in one market in a more uh, you know, pro-cyclical position in another market. I often say the first principles, know what you own. Are you aware of your exposures? You need to look beyond the headlines because sometimes, you know, a portfolio will be called one thing, but its exposures will be something else. You need to look at the underlying factor exposures and how those have shifted, not just at a single component of your portfolio, but the portfolio more holistically. What's really interesting is that today more and more investors are uh, sort of model-centric. We often think this is true mostly in the wealth markets, but the truth is that you know, there are many institutional investors that are building diversified model portfolios and then implementing. And sometimes you'll, you know, you'll build a, a, a model which you think is well diversified, but then when you implement by hiring active managers, by allocating to specific index type strategies, that, um, that might actually shift the intended exposures. So one of the biggest concerns amongst investors' minds in 2022 was the decline of both equities and bonds. And that presented significant challenges for a 60-40 strategic mix. Investors are now re-evaluating if, are there alternative ways to construct portfolios that can be more defensive, a replacement for bonds? From a global economic point of view, the OECD is forecasting slow economic growth and as much as one third of the global economy going into recession, uh, softer inflation and continued monetary tightening. So as we enter this new regime, our research has looked at a wider toolkit to help investors reposition their portfolios and capture uh, medium to long-term horizon opportunities across uh, many dimensions, be it factor investing, single country investing, uh, particularly in emerging markets where there are growth opportunities, thematics, 
as well as climate overlays across the portfolio. So climate conscious investors, they often aim to capture more than one objective uh, through their capital allocation, be it financial risks and opportunities or incentivizing companies to change or steering capital towards, uh, say, solution providers, green tech companies, for example. But beyond climate considerations, investors also have other financial objectives, such as managing risk or seeking active returns by investing in stock selection strategies such as value investing or high-yielding equities or identifying quality companies. There was one other approach Hatendra referenced, thematic investing, which is characterized as a top-down investment approach that aims to capitalize on opportunities created by macroeconomic, geopolitical, and technological advances. Uh, These are not short-term swings, but long-term structural transformational shifts. Now, some institutional investors are thinking about innovation or thematic investing as a strategic asset allocation as part of a diversified portfolio. In fact, Uh, knowing how much innovation is in your portfolio could become an integral part of the investment process over the months and years to come. Thematic investing is distinct from style investing, such as value or growth, uh, sector investing, be it technology or other related sectors that are often associated with innovation, or other traditional forms of allocation. Uh, Exposure to a wide set of thematics over a recent sample period spanning November 2016 to May 2022 would have resulted in improved risk-adjusted returns over a broader MSCI Acqui index. No year-end recap would be complete without talking about the coming year. To help us out, we asked Hatendra to talk through MSCI's adaptive multi-factor allocation model and what it showed as the ball dropped on New Year's Eve. So the adaptive multi-factor allocation model is based on four pillars. Uh, The macro cycle, uh, valuations of factor indexes, momentum in factor indexes, and market sentiment driven by uh, volatility and credit spread indicators. At the end of 2022, a combination of indicators showing an economic slowdown, uh, low valuations, trending performance, as well as mixed readings from risk indicators led to an overweight in momentum and value relative to an equally weighted mix. In terms of what the Duritas market is saying about volatility, if we turn to the VIX, uh, it currently has an upward sloping position, but I think more interestingly, it's structurally higher than we were during pre-COVID levels. And this indicates that a higher volatility regime might be here to stay over 2023. Last year, it was about inflation deglobalization, and as we mentioned, the fall of big tech. But really, it was about inflation and deglobalization. This year, I think we'll have more focus on earnings and relatedly employment. And the third big pillar will be risk management. Uh, We all know how sensitive the market was to central bank policy in 2022. And in fact, there was a lot of talk about in the U.S., for instance, if the Fed pivots from a strong stance to combat inflation to a softer stance, um, that the market would rally. And we saw a few sort of head fakes. Midsummer, we saw 
a rally, believing that the Fed might uh, reduce the intensity of rate increases. There was that debate again in the fall where that pattern played out again. The market rallied. But we also observed that stocks which missed their earnings targets were severely punished, and especially those that had these high valuations. So I think in 2023, we'll see a continuation of this focus on central banks, but an increased focus on earnings, employment, and risk management. That's all for this week. A big thank you from Joe, Phil, and me, to Mark and Tatendra, and to all of you for listening. Over the course of 2023, we'll see if and how the themes that we discussed today play out. And of course, we'll help answer the questions on investors' minds. Until next time, I'm your host, Adam Bass, and this is MSCI Perspectives. Stay safe,